With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. What is going on? Welcome to Abyss Gazing, a horror podcast where we talk, celebrate all things spooky and mental health. I am your co-host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, Mark. And on this episode, we actually are going to be talking about not only indie horror with our guest, uh, but also celebrating the life of Anne Rice. Yeah, we decided to take on after recent events and announcements of her death that we were going to cover interview with the vampire which ironically in and of itself just a reminder to viewers slash listeners that we are getting a reboot of at the end of this year yeah i don't know how i I feel about that (laughs) yeah i don't either because i i mean like well and we'll get into it but i mean like i feel like this adaptation of interview works so well because Anne Rice came back to actually write her novel Tom Cruise Brad Pitt Kirsten Dunst like that cast right there and in also throwing in like Christian Slater Antonio Banderas all of these just kind of feel like they hit at the perfect time to be the perfect storm yeah because the only real like huge name at the time in that movie was Tom Cruise. The others were uh, Brad Pitt and Antonio Banderas were big names, but they weren't Tom Cruise at the time. So they got good actors and soon to be huge actors, probably at a decent price with a pretty good script and cover of a really good book. Uh, I will also throw this in the fact that like Antonio Banderas had... He was either a year away or had just done Desperado, which is another episode we covered last year. Um, and Brad Pitt had just done Legend of the Fall. So, like, they were they were not the mega stars that we know them as today. Yeah, and I believe it was Kirsten Dunst's first movie, too. Dude, I, I have so much to say about Kirsten Dunst in this movie. But, but let's go ahead. Before we get too much into this, we're going to show you guys a trailer for the our guests. He is the writer and director of the short film called threshold it is one of our contenders for our upcoming film festival horrific hope which you guys can attend digitally on april 29th and in person at the alamo in winchester virginia this is threshold
close my eyes and I disappear. A calmness in the dark. I open up and the world is new. Alone with only thoughts. Comforting arms. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Mr. Mike Tom uh, Thompson. Hey guys, what's going on? I'm trying to figure out this camera angle here. I'm like sliding the opposite way. How are you guys doing? Hi. We're doing good, man. Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, I just want to say that, like, I, I don't know if, if Mark, I don't, Mark is also one of the programmers for the festival. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch it yet, Mark. I have um, not. So I guess most, most of my questions are going to be coming from, from myself. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed this film. Um, I, I thought that it's such an elegant, simple premise, but it's really effective. And I'm kind of wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about Threshold um, for the uh, listeners of the podcast and that might have not gotten a chance to see the the trailer for it. Yeah, sure. Um, thank you, by the way, for the uh, compliments on the film. Um, we, <clears throat> my co-writer Joe Stockton and I had started kind of becoming like COVID pen pal buddies, basically like just having these phone calls and decided to start writing together and um, really wanted to make another short and realized we were going to have to do something, like you said, very stripped down because of COVID. And it was like, okay, let's kind of take baby steps to get back into this and figure out a way that we can have sort of minimal crew, um, minimal talent and stuff like that. So because we filmed it in March, so it was before like the heavier vaccine rollout. Um, and so we were still kind of like navigating that space. But so we went back and looked and said, well, why don't we do something that's one, you know, primarily one character that's maybe like a home invasion thing or something, you know. We went back and kind of drew a lot of influence from like old Hitchcock movies like Rear Window, but we also went back to things like Repulsion or uh, Wait Until Dark um, and then also kind of looked at things like Panic Room or The Strangers, you know, and tried to make it part Hitchcockian thriller, like psychological thing, but also add some of the elements of what modern indie horror would have, you know. Um, the film itself is kind of takes a cue from uh, uh, you know, a, a very classic, like horror concept of like the person that's alone in their house but debilitated in a way that if something goes down that they they can't escape it um you know in rear window jimmy stewart had a broken leg and uh wait until dark audrey hepburn's blind and so we were like well it'd be kind of cool um to maybe do something because of how COVID has affected everybody's mental health that if we make something that has to do with that um that maybe it might resonate with people a little bit more. And so um, we kind of just, I think in two or three drafts, you know, just threw down this concept 
Um, but the, the main basic idea of the film uh, is a woman who's agoraphobic um, and possibly bipolar. We don't like dive into it. We just give you hints at things after we did a bunch of research to make sure that it tracked. Um, but it's, she's a, a voiceover actress who's agoraphobic. And she begins to think that somebody's in her house or somebody's messing with her. And as things start to go on, you start to kind of question whether or not it's really happening to her or not, or if it's something she's imagining. Um, and so, yeah, it was a ton of fun because we got to kind of play with all these different tropes that were in ghost house, like haunted house movies or thrillers or home invasion things, or even just the kind of like old film noir type stuff um and uh yeah it's like a real a lot of fun to film this movie gave me like goals as a podcaster to be like i could never leave my house again like, granted <laughs> like i don't want to be agoraphobe but like also at the same time like if i could just get paid to like stand behind a microphone i'd be yeah i'd be set for the rest of my life um well which is that's what uh what sorry, i'm working that's... towards yeah, I mean, that's what was kind of a trip about it was originally she wasn't going to be a voiceover actress. We kept like trying to figure out things that she could do from home. And it was just kind of getting boring because we were like, oh, man, you give, if you make her a writer, it's just like these other 12 movies. If you make her this, then it's too many other things. She has to have some kind of income. And so when we started writing at a buddy of mine who owns the apartment that we shot in, he was like, well, just come over to my apartment and see if like it would work and it did because of the geography but when we walked in because it's it you can't really tell from we there's not a lot of wides because it was a small space but it has like two figure eights in it so it's like every little room has a has two other doors coming out of it or something it's like a really strange old apartment but he himself is an actor and during covid was getting all these voiceover gigs and he had built that booth for himself and he was like, oh, just close that door off. And I was like, well, can we use that? And he said, yeah. Why? And I said, I just have this idea. And I ran back to the house and called my writing partner, Joe. And I was like, dude, that's what it is. She's like a voiceover actress. And then because Joe is a sound designer, um, like most recently, he did the sound for that movie, The Dark and the Wicked. That uh, Brian, nice. Yeah, yeah. He just did that. And he's very good at that, like in terms of like picking up sound design and ambient sound that makes things kind of scary and so he started writing ideas that he had that he knew he could pull off into the script once we knew that we were dealing with like the the concept of kind of audio and all the weird things that can happen with it so yeah dark and the wicked i saw that earlier this year that was that was nice to say the least (laughs) yeah yeah that's a tough movie man we uh uh it's super dark and well pun intended i guess but uh yeah, it was kind of funny because he he hit me up and said, I'm, I've got this new movie coming out on Shutter that I worked on. You should check it out. And I, it's, you know, the guy that did The Strangers. And I and I texted him. And I just said, dude, I just felt like hereditary on a farm. Like it was just so bleak. And like, um, but really good. Yeah. Talking about I mean, the, t- talking about the isolation and everything going on. I had some friends, we were all talking, we used to work in an office together and tech support and stuff like that. And now we're all working remotely and we got to joking. Everybody forgot about that movie from the 90s with Sandra Bullock, The Net. That was the whole basis of the movie, (laughs) was she was a remote 
tech person and nobody had ever seen her and she had to prove she was still real and all kinds of crap and we're all like dude that would suck if that happened today (laughs) (laughs) we all work remote so i forgot one step closer now mark yeah (laughs) everybody forgot about that movie especially with what's going on now and so many positions moving to remote yeah yeah well i don't want to give it away too much about this movie uh if you guys want to check it out keep your eye out on the official lineup which is going to be released within about a month of uh from this recording of when we're going to be releasing the lineup of all the films that are finalist into our film festival horrific hope you guys can find more information and even submit your own film links are in the descriptions below um, but let's talk about Anne Rice because I, I feel like that was kind of what this episode was birthed out of. Uh, I'm probably going to be every once in a while. I love horror, but every once in a while there are elements of the genre that come up that I am. This is definitely a Mark episode. I just want to throw that out there. Oh, it's a Mark um, episode. Oh, bro, I, I just <laughs> like vampires and zombies both are like the two genres that it really takes me it has to be something special for me to connect with the film just because those are two subgenres that I feel like have been well overdone. And so Anne Rice was never, uh, while I understand she was an important and monumental figure in the grand scheme of modern day vampires. She's not necessarily, uh, like she didn't have like an impact on me the way that like Wes Craven or like John Carpenter did. Well, it's probably because she was an author instead of a filmmaker, and they adapted a couple of her works. That's probably why. Um, But when you get in, and the the Vampire Chronicles is something interesting to begin with, because the first book is Interview with the Vampire, and it's talking to and interviewing Lestat, or um, um, not Lestat, Louis uh brad pitt's character but when you get into the rest of the series it follows Lestat. the rest of the like god knows how many books is Lestat oriented so interview was the only only book and story specifically about louis or at least that i can remember no i mean i think that makes sense i got like my mom got into those books when i was a kid that's how i ended up seeing this way too early but um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's what's a trip about it is that like like you said it's like the first book it kind of introduces you to the character of Lestat it's kind of weird it plays like like that movie Sicario how the whole time you think you're supposed to be looking at like Emily Blunt and then the last act they just go no let's go watch Benicio Del Toro for the rest of the thing and then the rest of the movies kind of center around him and stuff like that and it's kind of the same thing where we have a change where with the stats character that allows it to go off on it. But, but some of those books are like flashbacks, right? Well, not flashbacks. I guess they're technically well, like they're technically modern because of the context or the time period that they were written in. You have some of them. I, I've read a handful, a handful, not all of them, but mm-hmm. um, like they're modern for their time period they were written in. So 80s, 90s, um, but then you have Interview with the Vampire was a bunch of talking about Lestat and how Louis became a vampire because of Lestat and flashbacks Mm -hmm. and stuff. Then you had the second book was The Vampire Lestat, which was his origin, um, where he was like 
a royal of some sort. Uh, I forgot which country, but he was always very flamboyant, very attention hungry, which is what made him different from and ultimately turns him into what everybody knew from the Queen of the Dan movie is not good as that movie was. Uh, it's it's yeah. why he Which is was a that way. Yeah, it's a bummer too because the book Queen of the Damned is really interesting. Like the idea of like you know Lestat becoming a rock star, yeah. um, who is a vampire whose shtick on stage is that he's a vampire, yeah. and nobody gets that it's a joke. And and but I I hate what they did with the movie. I just it just wasn't interesting, but. Uh, they put it like in modern times as they put it in like the early 2000s instead of the 80s and i thought it could have been really fun to see lestat as like what he was in the in the book queen of the dam where he was like a hair like hair metal singer yeah and it would attract so well it would have it would have been so cool but they kind of just well and and i think it's because queen of the because interview the vampire as an adaptation is so good you know what i mean yeah it was it was an excellent adaption of the of the book and then you had the follow-up queen of the damned which was a combination of parts of vampire lestat and queen of the damned it was a combination of two books uh but interview with the vampire was just if they had put more in it they they completed the storylines that they had for the movie and to add anything to it would have added more storylines and just made like two and a half three hour movie yeah so and, and but they they put it together well, so yeah. Which we said at the beginning of the show that like we are getting a series at the be- at the end of this year. Which I'm um, curious because uh, I really want to see Mad Knock the Devil put on um put on film. Yeah, basically Lestat's being uh, haunted by the devil by Mad Knock. Oh, yes. yeah, that's a creepy <laughs> my book. Attention. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the first series we cover on this show since we do all horror. We've done all movies up to this point. Yeah. Yep, we have. And With one the exception musical. of one musical and one film fest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, the uh, musical was great, though. Thank you very much. The musical The Wicker Man is now streaming once again on Shudder. Uh, <laughs> we highly recommend it, uh, along with the the great documentary Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. Uh, it is a complete history of folk horror, and it's yeah. a long one, but it's a great film. I just watched that like recently, and that was fantastic, because I think that's a very underrated horror genre um, that doesn't get its place. And so to see somebody compile it and say like you said it's long too it's like it's it goes for three or four hours yeah 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 it's kind of like those what do they call um it's like never sleeping docs yeah like uh those in in, uh never sleep again yeah yeah. lake memories this is the first time we've gotten like a four-hour horror doc but yeah this one is really well because it it doesn't just span the medium of film but you get to see how it progresses from its origins in books to uh where it is kind of hit its crescendo with like 70s cinema and then kind of like how it's still being felt and with films like uh midsummer today yeah and a lot of like hidden movies and stuff too you know like kill list had a lot of like folklore elements to it and um 
yeah, it's it's such a cool little genre. And so, sorry, I it's funny. I just watched that doc, and so I'm like, yes, please go watch that doc. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I got to cover it last year for uh, for Fantasia Fest, and uh, it, Shutter this month is just really blooming with yeah. a lot of like those uh, those folk horror because they have uh, not only Wicker Man but Blood on Satan's Claws also streaming, and there's a couple other ones that are uh, from like that '70s boom with with Vincent Price as well. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, so I, I've never actually read a Anne Rice book. Um, I didn't grow up on this movie until my wife and I sat down to watch it probably two years ago for the first time. And this movie is good. It's not great. I will show my cards very early. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I've never seen Queen of the Damned. So maybe that's an episode we, we plan for this year because it oh, also God. celebrates 20 years this year. Queen yeah. of the Damned? Month, actually. Next month, oh yeah. God, that's February fifteenth, twenty twenty two will be twenty years. That's insane. Uh, I didn't realize I was that old. It came You're out welcome. of the. It came out of the um, corn. Oh, what was that festival that they used to do? Family. Was it family? family values. Yeah. 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 The, that's what it came out of, which is why the music is the way it is. Uh, Jonathan it's... Davis did all the music for it. And the voiceover yeah. for the singing, yeah. It, it's not good either. It's weird. Like soundtrack's I, fantastic. Not, I just I don't know. <laughs> man. Well, it's like it's the music's fine. It's the fact that it. it the, I forget who plays Lestat, like Stuart, somebody, uh, but ta- like uh, Townsend, Townsend or something. It, yeah. it just like it never looks like that's his voice ever. Like you're just kind of like, yeah, that's not him. Like this is a blatant lip sync, and it just doesn't. His mannerisms yeah. with like his band, it just doesn't fit. You're just kind of like, oh, it was. It is. It was kind of rushed, I believe, at the same time they were talking about doing another re- uh, reboot of Interview with the Vampire with mm-hmm. um, Robert Downey Jr.'s Lestat. I know Ooh. that was discussed way back when. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've been talking oh. and planning, and then it disappears, and then it pops back up again, and then it disappears again. But one of them was having uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Lestat. Which is kind of a trip that it's been like considered to be like rebooted so many times because that's, um, I'm gonna like you said show my cards like that's one of my favorite movies because um, yeah. I grew up on it and I also even as an adult the, the many times that I've watched it it's so well executed it still holds up um, because there's not a lot of there's no CG or anything. Everything's practical. Yeah. Everything's practical. And it's one of the few movies too, that anytime somebody says like Tom Cruise is just an action star or something like that. I'm like, nah, dude, go hang out and watch interview with vampire for a minute. Yeah. Like or risky um, Brad Pitt too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or risky business or yeah. you know, whatever. But, um, you know, everybody in that film fires on all cylinders and including like, man, like the director, Neil Jordan just nails that movie. Um, yeah. And, and it, talk, Talking about the traditional effects, the ash scene with yeah. um, mm. Claudia and her yeah. creation or whatever, her, her yeah. mother, that oh, ash yeah. scene was amazing. That well, that's traditional effects. Yeah, like because th- that movie is always billed as the, the it's like the saddest vampire story ever made. And. <laughs> It, and it's true. It's like it's like it's just watching Louie lose everything. It's what that whole movie is. And having to go back to Lestat, who doesn't really 
care for him. It's, it's, it's like a pride thing with him. You know what I mean? That like, you're my creation and like, I get to tell you what to do and, and you're going to operate the way that I think you should operate. And, you know, he has this one glean of like, Oh, maybe with Claudia, with Kirsten Dunst's character, uh, you know, that this could be somewhat of a normal life. And then it just kind of goes to hell, you know, and it really is. It's really sad because that whole sequence in that church with, it's not a church, it's a theater. Um, the whole thing with Antonio Banderas character yeah. mm-hmm. is rough because it's like, I was telling somebody the other day when you guys brought this podcast, like doing this episode up, I was like, you know what he's like? He's like Lando Calrissian in that movie. Where, <laughs> like, you know, Lando, like, sells them out does all this shit you know and then at the end is like but i'm gonna help you get away well and it's they're... like okay and same thing with you know antonio banderas or excuse me antonio banderas's character is it's like a lot of this stuff went down because of the rest of the vampires in that theater company and then he lets them out but it's too late you know to to, well, to save claudia so the thing with lestat and it's not mentioned in the movies at all period um, they even changed this in Queen of the Damned. Lestat was created um, by a vampire that basically when he woke up, he handed him a fire and told him to spread his ashes and then kill himself. And he had to figure out everything on his own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. how Lestat became a vampire. Um, yeah. And then he ran into Marius later. Um, yeah. But and he he learned a lot of his vampire ways from Armand too. But he's yeah. he's very arrogant, very condescending, and sadistic for pleasure, for fun, mm-hmm. because he's entertained by it. Armand, on the other hand, is sadistic, but it's to serve his purpose and what he wants, his needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that comes across more in the movie where he's oh when you get to a certain age you lose touch i need you to stay around but he's allowed louis to just murder the whole troop of acting vampires to yeah. just kill them all and Which is put a, it yeah. yeah and put him in a situation to trigger that event so he can essentially start over with louis to do what he wants and get back in touch with the modern day because he's he's hundreds of years old by the time this movie takes place by the time the story takes place mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's what is that's another like great like practical effects sequence like you were talking about was the whole sequence where brad pitt just like lays <laughs> that entire <laughs> troop of vamp- of actors like to to waste like he just goes in and like he's like tipping like wine barrels over and burning them out of their coffins. And like that, that part when, and you know, we were talking about casting and even the little bit parts in it are fantastic. Like Stephen Ray is the, the, is like Armand's assistant. I forget what his name is. Um, He's the one that he's the one that like Brad Pitt just hits with that scythe and just cuts him like cuts him diagonally. Um, But you know, it, it just, to me, that movie always hit differently. Um, it's it's yeah. not the stereotypical vampire movie by any sense. It, it's no. not. It, it's not Twilight. It's not the old kind of grizzled, beastly vampires or anything like that. It's it's its own thing. As if vampires existed and were just trying to exist. If you or someone you know is listening to this podcast right now and you're struggling with suicide, addiction, self harm 
or depression, we encourage you guys to please reach out. This is the heartbeat of why we do what we do. Suicide is currently the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. And as of this recording, there are 132 suicides that take place each and every day on American soil. And when you scale back internationally, there are 800,000 successful suicides. That is one death roughly every 40 seconds. So if you or someone you know is struggling, you guys can go to victimsandvillains.net forward slash hope. That resource is going to be right in the description wherever you guys are currently listening or streaming this. There you'll find resources that include the National Suicide lifeline which is 1-800-273-8255 you can also text help to 741-741 we also have a plethora of other resources including churches getting connected with counselors lgbt resources like the trevor project and also veteran hotline as well please if you hear nothing else in the show, understand that you, yes, you listening to this right now, have value and worth. We get it. Suicide, depression, mental health, these are hard topics, and the stigma around them doesn't make it any easier. But please consider the resources right in the descriptions below, wherever you guys are listening, because, once again, you have value and you have worth. So please, stay with us. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Yeah, no, it's almost kind of like props. a... It's almost like an old Hammer vampire movie more than it is anything, or something like, yeah. you know, like The Hunger, like the Tony Scott movie. Um, it, it's less about the stereotypical Bella Lugosi, like widow's peak vampire and taken from the Bram Stoker story. And it's like, it's kind of like, you know how, like when you watch like the dark Knight trilogy, you're like, well, maybe Batman could be a thing. You know what I mean? Like that, that makes (laughs) sense. You know, and interview with the vampire to me was so realistic in its portrayal because they are people, you know what I mean? And it, it's like you said, it's like watching Louie, go throughout these centuries of trying to cope with this thing that he didn't really have a desire to be a part of and, um, and watching everything around him die. It's kind of like it touches on, you know, making the vampire character more understanding their human side of it, as opposed to just them as the bad guy and the predator. Like it's, it's makes an anti-hero out of Brad Pitt's character because he's your protagonist, whether you like it or not, you know, kind of thing. I think that's what really helps this this film from someone that doesn't really like vampire movies. I think everything you guys are talking about, this movie, it just 
it it feels different. Like there's a there's a natural evolution to all of this. And I, I think when you go throughout the film, like uh, you're you're starting off with with Brad Pitt and and, and uh, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise's character, which this film is both an anomaly on both of their their filmographies. Because you know I would love to see either actor do something like this again, but also at the same time, like it, it never quite feels like a vampire movie the way that we we know like i think you you hit the nail when you're talking about like this kind of almost feels like the equivalent of like the dark knight or like horror uh hammer horror because like there's such a a grounded nature to it that you got you get to actually see how these people cope with the fact that lestat and has made them both vampires and i think that's what makes the relationship between Kristen Dunst and Brad Pitt so endearing to me as a viewer is the fact that both of them have this commonality where Brad Pitt got kind of essentially tricked into becoming a vampire. And then you have, uh, you know, Kristen Dunst, who is a scene stealer in this movie. Yeah. Um, and she's kind of like stuck in this, little girl body which i don't know if you guys have kind of seen the eternals but like after watching this movie there's a there's a character that is permanently stuck being a i think it's like a 15 year old for the rest of their lives mm. and they they get to see all of their friends around them grow uh you know grow and, and have relationships and and be adults and do adult things and um, I think this this film explores that angle really well where you kind of see where she's not really a doll. She really wants to be respected because she's essentially a 40-year-old stuck in a 10-year-old body. Right. Yeah, and they even, with her character, she's almost, after she becomes a vampire, she's like everything Lestat wanted and wanted to be, even though he was kind of creating her for uh louis and mm -hmm. she is every bit if not more so as sadistic and manipulative as he is which oh for sure the only difference <laughs> is that like she had brad pitt like in her formidable years to like calm her down and tell her what yeah. made sense and, and how to be versus what he had which was Lestat. you know like even the fact that like brad pitt makes claudia you know what i mean to begin with that bites her and sets her on the yeah. path for lestat to turn her is like and that's interesting because it's like that's what to me plays a lot of the rest of that film is sort of how brad pitt treats her because it's like guilt you know what i mean um because well, he, that that he whole, did it you know that whole scene kind of plays out in a manner that shows you how little respect Lestat had for life mm. because yeah, yeah. they're in, they're in a, uh, was it a black plague? Um, France, I think, section. right? Yes. Yeah. Like a parasite. Yeah. And it was an area of the town that was pretty much blocked off, nailed up and it was all black plague written. Everybody was dying of the plague and they go in there and, she's in there with her dead parents and he picks up her mom's corpse and starts dancing with it and yeah. laughing that there's still life in the old girl yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then when, when they walk out, he, he literally looks at Brad Pitt's like, what man, you got to laugh about it. And he just drops her. Yeah. He and just, you know like, I mean? he just lets her go on the ground. And you're like, good God, dude. Like, um, 
that part and the other man, the other part of that movie that is so gnarly in terms of like Lestat just being just a tor- a horrible, horrible, evil being is when it's Louie and him and they're in um I think they're still in New Orleans at this point and they've got like two girls over. Oh, the and brothel. Yeah. yeah, the brothel, <laughs> and he flips that table off and bites the girl, but then throws her in the coffin and covers her up and then opens it, and she's, like, screaming that it's a coffin. He's like, well, it's a coffin. Then you must be dead. You know, like, <laughs> surely you're dead and all these other things, and he's, like, going through it, and, like, Brad, you know, you can see, like, Brad Pitt's face that he's just like, what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, this is um, – and that's why that movie hits is that, like, dichotomy of those two characters. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have one that's still trying to be human and one that thinks he's superior can do what he wants. Right. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it, like, that's interesting is, like, I saw that, like I was saying earlier, as a kid. Um, my mom was a huge fan of that book when it came out. Um, my mom's kind of the reason I know a lot of horror. My dad's not a big fan of it, but... Um, but she had read that book and our neighbor had read that book and she knew that like I was interested in it because of the trailer. Cause I just, even as a 10 year old, like I really loved horror movies and just movies in general. And so she was like, well, I'm going to go see it with her first. And if it's kind of okay to see, then you can go see it. And I went and saw that like in the theater when it was, if it's 95, right? Like 94, like, 94, it's yeah. a 94. So yeah, I was definitely like 10 years old. Um, <laughs> But it it's weird because back then you don't understand why a movie feels different or what's different about like why is you know interview with the vampire different from watching like Lost Boys or something like that you know and mm-hmm. and a lot of it as an adult the more that I've watched it has been just like the tone of it it's just very dark and very bleak and it matches something more like you know like let the right one in or yeah. um like we were saying the hunger or even um, I'm trying to think, you know, it's just, there's just something to it. And I think it's the performances too, you know, like if it had been, that's what I'm worried about, about them adapting it into a TV show. Is it like, if it was a Netflix show or like an HBO thing, then maybe I'm not scared, but it depends on where it goes and who's playing so, who. And... I think it's Amazon, isn't it? It is not Amazon. It's actually uh, AMC. Okay. Um, so if it does end up going to AMC, it, chances are it'll probably go to Shudder um, as well. But so like AMC shows have been like real hit or miss. Like the first season, and Mark and I have talked about this off air, like the first season to uh, Joe Hill's Nosferatu adaptation was really solid. Second season just kind of <sighs> fell at the wayside. Walking Dead has had its ebbs and flows. And then uh, well, no, walking, walking Dead has done a good job of um, adapting the comics to TV. Okay. So with that in mind, I mean, it gives a little hope. Um, AMC and Sundance did a discovery of witches, which hasn't been too bad. Um, my nah. wife's read the books and she's, she's really enjoyed the, uh, show and it's, it's not too girly and for my taste. So, <laughs> but I wonder, but, yeah, sorry, go ahead, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering how they're going to do it to make it suitable if they're going to release it on TV. 
but make it well enough for the hordes of ants of the vampire. Well, so that's that's the thing about this particular um, movie is that it's not like overly like gory or bloody. Like, I, I think that's why, like, we keep talking about, like, why it feels different than, like, most vampire movies is that, like, most vampire movies kind of almost feel like a slasher equivalent in the way that they are bringing on, like, blood and, like, death sequences, whereas this is definitely a mental health journey and a character's journey for uh, Brad Pitt's character as he's kind of reciting this story to Christian Slater, and I feel like but again, like the thing that we keep bringing on and we, we've talked about this. Um, I talked about this uh, more recently with um, Coles, uh when we did our, our top 10 worst movies of last year is that there are certain moments that happened in the nineties the and in like the early two thousands that for pop culture, it just the, those movies were it was just right place, right time. It was literally lightning in a bottle. And I feel like that is the reason why this movie has endured so long is that it is right place, right time. You know, you talk about the uh, the costume, the production design on this is immaculate. The performances from Tom Cruise, Antonio Banderas, Brad Pitt. Kirsten Dunst. Uh, we, we've brought up the fact that this is Anne Rice actually writing her own material. Like all of that works uh, yeah. real I had well forgotten about because that, of that. that. She was the screenwriter. Like and yeah. it makes sense why it's so well. It's kind of like if you think about like not in the same genre at all, but um, I don't know if you guys watched um, Gone Girl, but you know, yeah. like Gillian Flynn, she, she wrote that screenplay. You know, she wrote a screenplay from her own novel and it was the first one that she had gotten to do that. And you watch that movie and you go, well, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like clearly the person handling the adaptation knew what they were doing. And it's like, I think a lot of it too has to do with like director choice. Um, I think now like the, the interest is to, to typecast people and to say, well, we're doing like a whole remake of interview with vampire. We're going to hire all of these horror directors to do it. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because there's horror directors, you know, modern horror directors like Ari Aster, like Scott Derrickson that can really make, that can touch on all those points. But if you hire a bunch of random horror directors, they might have more of an interest in gore or something like that or, or treating the vampire as such. But then with the interview with the vampire, you know, this is in 1994 and they got Neil Jordan who had made The Crying Game to make a vampire movie and everybody was probably like, I, I don't think, you know, back then anybody batted an eyelash at it. I think now like film Twitter would have lost their minds. They're like, you got the dude to make a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And you're like, but bro, that's why that's so good is it was, it was a person who, who really much so viewed the vampirism aspect of it as like, symbolism more than anything it wasn't uh, it wasn't about the vampire aspect and and he made it more about the sad aspects and the dramatic portions of it and like you said the mental health of louis and the whole session with like christian slater is like therapy it's the first time he's been allowed to like tell anybody this in a manner that he's able to just unload and and because this reporter wants this story you know what i mean um and I think that I hope that they kind of do some stuff like that. I was reading a thing, you know, about um, uh, 
uh, David Fincher's Mindhunter about how when they cast that, when they picked the directors for that show, they didn't pick directors that had done police procedurals before or had, you know, been a director on True Detective or something like that. Like they, he said, there's documentary directors, there's people like Andrew Dominic who made um, Assassination of Jesse James. Like, and I think there's something to, choosing people that are competent directors that have a familiarity with the genre, but are also capable of like this wide array of work versus somebody who has just like, they made a vampire short one time and then everybody was like, well, just put them in there. Like, it'll be okay. And I think that's where we, that's my fear is like losing it to, you know, like we were joking about twilight, but, um, is losing it in a way that somebody tries to adapt it more to, you know, like a Riverdale audience or something like that <laughs> instead of no. And I mean, which I think Riverdale is such an awesome idea and stuff like that, but I interview the vampire is not yeah dark, dark Archie, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, I'm, I, I think that's what happens a lot with shows now is like, like you said about AMC is like, their newer stuff I'm not as familiar with, but like older, you know, stuff, not necessarily horror things, but you know, like Mad Men was fantastic. I really liked Halt and Catch Fire. Um, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, obviously I'm missing a huge yeah. one there. Um, but it's like, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I hope they do a good job with it. Cause like you said, Mark, like I, if, if they put Mem knock the devil, like as a, as a season, Oh, it'd be incredible. It'd be one of the scariest things ever. Like there was um, such, you're not a big reader. Are you Josh? Uh, no, not, not okay. for real. Like get you, I, the, I, I get you the book picky. on tape, get you the book on tape at the very least of Mem knock the devil. You don't have to know the background. Yeah. I read it before, um, after pretty much just watching the movies and yeah. it still makes yeah. sense. It gives you enough of an insight into, uh, Lestat that um, it, it makes sense, but all of the, the devil is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, so. it is. Uh, that whole I've read that whole book series like in high school, and it's fantastic. But but in terms of quality wise, like matching interview with the vampire, like Memnock the Devil is definitely the one that like yeah. hits. Um, because the other ones are good. They're great stories. I, I really like. What's is the second one just called the Vampire Lestat? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that one's great. Um, and then Queen of the Damned. And I think Memnock the Devil was after Queen of the Damned. Yeah. Because it's at one point, Memnock was the last book in the series. And then she wrote another one or two. Yeah. Because I think there's like six or seven or something like that. It's oh, crazy. There, there's more. Than Is that. there more than that? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. There's... I remember, I remember being a kid and, and just like seeing that movie and then going with my mom to the bookstore because I was like, my mom was a big reader, so she was always like, "Yeah, you watch all these movies and stuff, but if there's a book about it, you're going to read it." You know, and so uh, she bought me like a paperback of Interview, and in the back it said, "Read the rest of the Vampire Chronicles." And at that point, there was only, oh, I think she, there was only five or something at that time, but that's also in like 1996. I mean, a quick search right now says there's 13. Holy jeez. There's oh uh, there's one of the more recent ones is Prince Lestat. Okay. Um there she did a couple more over the last couple of years. She stopped for a while and did some very loosely based um 
don't want to call them Christian books, but almost Jesus books, but they were oh, kind really? of fiction too. Yeah, she did a couple of them, like three or four. And then she went back to the Vampire Chronicles. Um, she's also done a series of witch books that take place in the same yeah. kind of uh, series. Um, uh, she wrote under the name of Anne Rampling. Uh, she did a series of almost, they, they were almost like fantasy erotica, uh, the mm -hmm. beauty series. And then she had some side stories too, like uh, I think Vetero the Vampire and the Violin and stuff were some of those. So Didn't she have a a mummy book like isn't ramsey's the yep. damned like a mummy book like she um, did a mummy book um, um i'm trying to think she had a couple of them but primarily i think she did pretty much just horror and the way it was written it was more of uh, all of them were essentially more like they were almost everyday people trying to survive yeah, which was translated just so well in interview with the vampire yeah 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 I, then it, but then it like angry. but like oh man some of the stuff in interview too like the way the little glimpses of vampirism that they give you like yeah. they don't do these like you said josh they don't do these big gory set pieces but man that <clears throat> that first scene when um they're starting to record and brad pitt's looking out the window and you can tell Christian Slater's like giving him shit that he's like, okay. Like, <laughs> and then in the middle, like, cause he says it, he says like, he's like, so what it is it? You think you're a vampire or something? Like, you know, he's real shitty about it. Cause it's fair. But the fact that like he whips across that room and it just cuts to, and it's not anything crazy. It's not this gnarly, like blurred effect that looks like the flash yeah. or something it's literally brad pitt it's just a shot of him and then it cuts to his hand cutting the line on and it pans up to him and he's just sitting there and christian slater just jumps back and there's something like very sparing about that reaction that it's like yeah dude if i was in a room with somebody and and they were telling me that they're a vampire and all of a sudden within a split second they were behind me and had cut the light on i probably would freak the fuck out you know what i mean like and sorry, I don't know if we're cussing. No, nah, you're fine. You're <laughs> fine, dude. I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of myself that it's taken this long for one to get out. But, uh, but yeah, I, and I think I think that's what's so dope about that movie is like how real it feels, man. Like I love that scene in the theater, like I said, where they, he's burning the, the the troop of vampires, and when he starts it, you know, all the coffins are on fire. And it takes a second, but all of a sudden they start to literally like fly out of the coffins on fire and, and don't know how to react and stuff. And it's like so scary, you know, it gets super scary in that moment. Um, and yeah. it's like, yeah, I just that's what I'm saying is like the show has to have that tone man. it's got to feel bleak and, and sad and just depressing <laughs> and not just a blood fest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah well, I mean. <clears throat> Sometimes, sometimes you can you can have uh, to go back to Mike's point. Like it, it's really going to matter on like the direction of the show. And I think you've had we've seen well-known directors kind of step into unknown territories for them over the years, and it's worked really well. Uh, the two examples that I'm thinking of right now are Todd Phillips <laughs> with the Joker, and also uh, Bryce Dallas Howard stepping in to do some of the, the Mandalorian episodes and yeah. they were terrific. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you kind of need to have um, what I would say is like 
Damon, uh, the way that, so HBO did the, uh, the Watchmen series a few years ago, mm -hmm. and there's a podcast, uh, like accompaniment piece that, that he did where like Damon Lindelof kind of like, they went through like, uh, like a trilogy of episodes and they would like kind of talk about the creative process and the challenges. And like, one of the things that he ended up talking about was like how like the writers and like the directors would like sit in a room and they would all be on the same page with what each episode, every sequence had to be. And I feel like for interview of the vampire to live up to its 94 cinematic counterpart, you're going to need that same exact energy and that same exact planning of meticulous storytelling. No, I mean, you're going to have to have a showrunner like, Lindelof that was on the Watchmen, like somebody that loved the Watchmen to a way that he knew how to make a series for HBO. Um, <clears throat> and I, I hope whoever I haven't like seen anything about this. Um, this uh, is it. Is it just interview with Vampire, or is it like doing the whole Vampire Chronicles? A second, let's 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 find out. <laughs> um, I, I uh, think... But it's like you have to have somebody that fell in love with that like if you think about recent like remakes or reboots that were successful you have to look at like the pedigree of the person that you know like ghostbusters <laughs> afterlife it was ivan reitman's son did it you know what i mean it's like yeah that's somebody that cared about it you know gareth uh i think it's gareth edwards that did rogue one and if yeah. you go listen to him talk about star wars you're like yeah that dude clearly loves star wars way more than some of the other people they've pulled in for it did and there's something – I just feel like if you're excited and passionate about something, that it shows. Um, that's what was funny when we were talking about different episodes because I think you guys were talking about Bring Me On for like the Matrix sequels or something. And I was like <laughs> – I was like, dude, I don't even remember two and three. And I was like, and, and I, I don't know if I'm going to be the best to talk about it. And then you interviewed me about like Anne Rice and the Vampire. And I was like, that's my speed. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so a couple of details. We have um, uh, a newcomer, Kylan, Callie, I think I said that right. Coleman is in the series uh Lestat has going to be played by uh, uh Sam Reed who I believe is an Australian native um and then Bailey Bass is going to be playing Claudia there's actually no word on who will be playing the Brad Pitt character but it's also going to be eight episodes and I would imagine that because of how the progression of news has been a lot of it like they announced it last summer and then throughout the subsequent months like they've been showing uh and giving us casting i would imagine it's kind of be kind of flow like the way disney did the book of boba fett where it's released like within the last week of this year and then the majority of it's going to take place in 2023 so bryce dallas howard is working on the on book of boba fett She's one of nice. the people for that. Um, producer Mark Johnson for the Vampire interview with the Vampire. Um, I did a quick search on it too because I guess that's what we're doing now. Um, <laughs> pro producer Mark Johnson, who news. also worked on Breaking Bad. Oh, okay. And Halt and Catch Fire. Okay. So. 
That to a little me, bit more faith. To, to go off a topic like for two seconds, if if you guys haven't watched Halt and Catch Fire, that was the best series that AMC put out and most consistent that a lot of people didn't watch, and it was one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> so I, I think whoever's taken up the role of Lestat, though, has some big shoes to fill. I think that's going to be a role that can make or break somebody. They all do. Like, every single one of them. Like, True. if you think about Brad Pitt's very subdued, and it wasn't the thing for – 90s Brad Pitt to be subdued like that. You know, if you think about like Seven, how loud he is and, and, and obnoxious oh God, he is in Seven and seven. stuff. No, I do too. But if you think about how different that character is and and you see how Brad Pitt could really be, especially back then in the 90s with things like Seven or 12 Monkeys or something. And then you see him in that movie and it's such a classical, like old school performance. Um, and it's really subtle and like, like Josh said about Kirsten Dunst, Jesus, like who wants to go after that? Like that yeah, dude. Th- oh man. That scene when she's cutting her own hair off. To, oh like, yeah. Make her point, And it sounds Ooh. like a grown, like in the grown woman, like she sounds like a grown woman yelling about like being trapped as this, because I think she's supposed to be like 13 or something, you know? And she like cuts her own hair off and then it grows back. And like, she cuts Lestat's face and his seal back up and stuff. And it's like those little, little glimpses into like what they are because like you said the rest of it's not about it it's there's a lot of very dynamic storytelling through those performances and some of the 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 lighting and stuff like that in that first one that i'm just like please don't cheap out on it you know like let's (laughs) let's let it be what it needs to be because it's it's also a period piece it's a series that takes place in like the 16 1700s and then goes throughout multiple decades you know and centuries and stuff so yeah, it, it goes through, I think, before, um, like, the Revolutionary War and stuff. Yeah, I think yeah, it start, yeah. Because yeah. they're, they're, like, plantation, like, that's what Louis is. He's a plantation owner in New Orleans at the beginning, or in Louisiana yeah. somewhere. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, and then they escape to Europe when they, um, when they kill, well, when they think they killed the stat. I know that's maybe yeah. a spoiler, but it's from 1994, so... If you have oh, uh, we've already spoiled a lot of it. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But but, the, but, uh... but the way the whole thing plays out, you've got Christian Slater interviewing Brad Pitt. And at first he's like, whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. sure, you're a vampire. Then, oh shit, you're a vampire. Yeah. Then it just turns into pure curiosity from there for him, not realizing that the way it plays out, he was <laughs> set, set up. up. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah. that whole – I remember, like, man, to geek out about the movie theater experience, but I remember – that's one thing I love about – I miss about the theater being the main point of where you see everything and also the trailers being very sparing and how you could access them yeah. and stuff because I knew nothing about that book or that or anything. I just knew that, like – Tom Cruise was playing a vampire and it was like this cool looking vampire movie that I really wanted to see. And then in the theater, man, when like he goes, when, when Brad Pitt like threatens Christian Slater at the end and he runs out and he's driving and Lestat pops up in the back of the car, dude, and you're just like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? You're just like, <laughs> Oh my God. And he looks so like just terrible from like, what did he say he was doing? He had been surviving in the swamps, like eating alligators and stuff like that. And was like, so he's yeah. like, 
technically malnourished because he doesn't have like good blood or something. You know what I mean? And he's just so like scary looking and he gets in the car and he's driving it and everything and his shirt's dirty and stuff. And it's just like, that part's terrifying. And it's playing, uh, Symphony uh, of the Devil. Symph- yeah, yeah, by the Rolling Stones. Or no, it's a Guns N' Roses cover of it. But yeah, uh, it's hysterical. You're like, oh my god, dude! And and he's repeating all of his lines that he said to Louie at the beginning of the movie and everything. You're just like, man, what a fantastic movie, you know? How would you guys like to help us get mental health resources into schools, conventions, and other events? Well, now you can. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash victims and villains for as little as $1 a month. You guys can help us get mental health resources into current and upcoming generations. Educate and break down stigma surrounding mental health, suicide, and depression. And to get exclusive content that you can't get anywhere else. And you guys can tell us which Nicolas Cage movie you want us to cover and we'll do it. All it takes to get started is to go to patreon.com forward slash victims and villains or simply click the link in the episode description wherever you guys are currently listening or streaming this episode. Pick your tier and get started today. Yes, it's that simple. So quickly select the tier that you want and help us get hope into the hands of the depressed and the suicidal today. Um, well, all right. So I like the last like little bit of this. I, I think that, you know, we would be reminisced if we didn't actually end up talking about some of the mental health themes that this movie has. Sure. Because it it has so many, uh, you know, freaking journeys. I think the first like the front half of like Brad Pitt's character, like kind of coming to cope with the fact that like he's now a vampire and that he's going to be immortal is a fantastic angle. Um, Kristen. Dunst kind of also coming to terms with the fact that you know she's now immortal and kind of like living throughout these centuries but being stuck as a child as we've kind of talked about is also uh important but there are there are a couple like lines that are are spoken <clears throat> that I want to like pull out particularly and there's a line that lists that actually says to uh, Brad Pitt's character says you resist the very thing that brings you peace and I think that sometimes when uh, you're looking at something like depression or anxiety, you can resist uh, talking about it or, uh, you know, just actually end up finding, you know, completion or, or a cure because we, we have this this way of just kind of stigmatizing the very thing and we end up not being able to find peace in it because of it so we just we'd rather suffer in silence for it yeah i mean it's that with like brad pitt's character kirsten dunce has also a weird thing of kind of like that uh how you feel as like an adolescent when you don't feel like anybody's listening to you and you're going to be sort of mm-hmm. stuck in this form yeah. for all of your life because when you're 15 or 16 Yes, you're till by law like an adult, but that's or, or you're a child, but you're an adult though, and you're restrained from kind of how you feel and think because people view you as a child and will always view you as a child until I don't know. I mean, it's even I'm like 37 and I still have times people are like, I can't believe like I remember you when you were a kid, and it's that sort of perpetual thing of like people constantly treating you like that. 
and even though you feel different inside and the, the thing like Mark talked about with the stat, that's not necessarily in the movie, but you know, with the stat, his whole trauma is sort of like abuse and like abandoned parentage and, and, and stuff yeah. like that. And so his acting out is very based on trauma and like he decides, you know, he's like a normal person that like some people have their dads take off on them and they kind of just go, whatever, man, move on, deal with it. And then some people go down this, path and choose to do those things and Lestat is is like very much so like the portrait of like self-destruction you know what I mean it's like and he's self-destructive but he also like is manipulative man you know like he's like well Louis gonna take off but I'll I'll like make him change this little girl and kind of you know kind of like the idea of like a couple splitting up and wanting to have a kid to save a marriage or something you know yeah and so it's yeah, there's a lot of that stuff, man, like theme-wise in that. I I think you bringing up like Lestat in particular uh, of kind of, you know, to Mark's point about in the book, you have this character that underwent this trauma and so his cinematic counterpart is also being very manipulative and it's that it's the terrifying thing is that like we have to know about the history in order to avoid like repeating it. Yeah. And so like if trauma is left unresolved, you are it's almost like a biological, you know, tick that we are going to end up recreating it almost. For sure. And that's yeah. that's the really sad part about like and the really difficult part about like finding peace and finding healing is that you have to go through the old wounds and you have to be willing to put the salt in them. Well, in an interview, an interview with the vampire, Lestat actually finally asked Louis for help. Yeah. Close to the end of the movie, they're they're talking about the '80s, and he finds him in an old cemetery in Louisiana, just kind of living off rats and whatever he can get a hold of. And he actually asked Louis for help coming back out into the light, basically. Yeah. To get out was- of where he's stuck. Which is funny because it's back to he's now doing the things yeah. that he once ridiculed Louie for. You know, he, he'd yep. be like, yeah. you just want to hang out like in the crypt and eat on rats. Like, be my guest. But like, that's not a way to live. And then because of like his self-destructive tendencies and him just, every you know, everything that he does towards the end of the film, he just ends up <laughs> in a crypt eating rats. And it's Essentially like. Essentially being Louie. Yeah. the beginning, yeah. Yeah, and um, and it's strange. Like it's a strange relationship they had that plays on the idea of. I, I mean, it plays on domestic abuse, like how when people talk about how like abuse victims go back to their abusers, Abuser. and, it's, and you're like, with everything you've seen in that movie with Louis and Lestat, you're like, let them die, dude. You know what I mean? Like, why? Who cares? Why are you so? interested in in helping him and like getting him back out there like you should have spit in his face and let him feed on rats for the rest of his life you know um and it's strange to see him (laughs) choose to go back to that i think it's more telling of brad pitt's character louis than lestat lestat's at a point of weakness and louis now in the in the position of power and and the role model that Mm. And I think he may see it more as a way to almost redeem him than anything yeah. else to bring him yeah. back. 
Like he, he thinks he can help him. Yeah. Yeah, he's reached that low that Brad Pitt was at in a vampire when when he was just eating rats and poodles and stuff. Yeah. They, they go to they go to a, um uh some sort of rich party. I think it was in Louisiana, and they lure the the <clears throat> house um the lady that ran everything and like her maid out into a field and Lestat kills the the servant. And he kills the poodles. The poodles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Lestat just runs up and like turns her head around. Snaps her neck. <laughs> Brutality. And, God, yeah. And, and it's 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 almost like Lestat at that point is almost gaining a sense of humanity back where he was just an egotistical narcissistic monster. But then you see the way he treats Christian Slater at the end. And it's like, has he really changed? Or is it Louis has kind of come around to being what he is? Well, well just, I think, yeah, he just is like kind of, he's, it, it's a play on, I think it's a play on the idea of like their humanity, right? That like, Lestat yeah. is just a manipulative asshole and he's going to do whatever he wants and, and needs to do to get it. And Louis regardless of what's happened to him was like, Oh, I can't just let him go through this again. And you're just like, you can though. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of, it reminds me of this thing. Like I was um, speaking of like mental health stuff. I had like a really bad period with anxiety last year and I was in group therapy. And one of the things they brought up was, you know, they said that your abusers, while they should apologize to you and talk to you and stuff like that, and you, it, it might be helpful to address them is that sometimes it's better just to stay away from them because they might not give you the response that you want um, or that you think that they should give. And I think that's kind of like Lestat is like, he was like, well, I'll help him and he'll be back to normal. And then you're like, well, he is, he is back to normal. It's just not good. normal. <laughs> it's back to Lestat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think what a lot of what you guys are, are talking on, like, kind of kind of proves the point that Mike was originally talking about is that, like, you know, or that we were originally talking about is that, you know, if you don't resolve it, you are doomed to repeat the hit, the repeat the past. And so, you know, Louis, by the end of the film that we have that con final confrontation between him and Lestat in the crypt, it's OK, like Louis has kind of you know been worn and he is kind of come to peace with who he is and like what he is but also at the same time here you have this guy that you know was originally on the top of the world and now is like fighting every day for food and to be seen and so you kind of have to take uh you really kind of have to you know fill your faults but to mark's point i think that you know, again, we're getting to kind of see him manipulate the system. So you're not actually seeing him change at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's just he's doing what he does best. He said what he needed to say to get the help he needed to come back out. So, yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what leads all the stuff into like Queen of the Dam, too, is that he kind of feels recharged and in that same neighborhood that. <clears throat> that crypt was in and all that stuff. He heard like a band practicing and decides to like take advantage of it, you know, and it's, yeah. 
you know, he, was tired, he was tired of being in the shadows and now there's a way for him to come out in the public basically and, and, and say who he is but also not say who he is because yeah. nobody believes him it's a gimmick you know yeah. yeah they they think it's just a gimmick and and it's what makes it interesting is that's that's kind of what he did in the vampire Lestat. he joined a acting troupe yeah. At, uh, yeah. after becoming a vampire and he he um he he was an actor for a long time so it plays to his character mm-hmm. from the book standpoint very well for him to turn around and join uh an 80s hair metal band in the books or um uh, a new metal band in the in the movie yeah which in all honesty like is is pure genius like like i said like it takes a lot for me to like really like want to dive into these and i think um there was a comic series that came out years ago called i zombie which they eventually made into a a series but like that was a that was such a it was uh (laughs) it was such an interesting like spin on the zombie genre and here i think one of my favorite sequences is the is the play when you first meet uh the bandit Bender's character and uh you have louis and claudia watching it and he's just like points out he's like it's vampires pretending to be humans pretending to be vampires so like yeah. everything you're seeing in front of you you believe to be this like giant theatrical production when in reality like you're actually witnessing the sacrifice of a woman yeah and yeah, yeah. it's it's genius but also terrifying in the same sense oh it's super brutal man that overhead shot when they like Antonio Banderas like hands her off and they just kind of it's an overhead and they just close in on her like and it's just, just it's rough. like a pack of wolves yeah coming in on an animal yeah well and then they show like reaction shots of the audience and the audience the humans are like oh my god like I don't know what I'm watching you know what I mean and yes it and it's rough like it and it holds on it for a while you know what i mean you're kind of just like all right man like i get it um it's it's one of those movies that that we 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 i saw the news that ann rice died and i messaged josh about it and i was like i i think we need to do an interview with the vampire so he's like yeah what time works for you and this and that i'm like dude you can record it any day of the week (laughs) i have watched this movie so many times over the years i don't even need to watch it again to do this I do oh, yeah. that movie front to back. And yeah. he's like, yeah, this is going to be like my second or third time watching it. <laughs> like ever. It's my second time, by the way. Second. Uh, to, uh, to, cause earlier you were saying that it was good, but not great. And it brought up, a, <laughs> it brought up a quote. So one of the, the DPs that I always work with Tommy, he's also one of my business partners. Anytime I say something that's like contrary to an opinion he has, he just looks at me and goes, that's cool, man. Everybody's entitled to be wrong. <laughs> Bro, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that 100%, man. Like, I don't know. Like, like I, I go back, man. You like what you like. And honestly, I think it's a like, hint of nostalgia. I think yeah. a lot of it's like, no, I'm, I'm just fucking with you. Like, cause I don't believe that. I, that was something I talked about with a friend the other day. I was like, what is this new shit where, everybody has to like everything like and if and if you say i'm not really i didn't wasn't into that then everybody goes you're like a pariah like everybody's just like i can't believe you don't watch that and i'm like i don't know it didn't speak to me i don't like i tried you know what i mean or like the subject matter just doesn't hit but um but that you know like i would never like if if you had ever told me you hadn't seen a movie i would convince you to watch it or like show it to you or something 
But if you didn't like it, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. I mean, that's fine because there's two million movies I don't like. You know what I mean? Dude, yeah, I, 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 I give right John, there. I give Josh crap all the time because he's like, yeah, I'm this big horror fan. I'm like, oh, great, you've seen this, and he's like, what? And it's like, that's right, you're a recent Look, horror fan over the last few yes. years. <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't grow up as, I, as I've said like earlier in the in our show. Uh, I think way back when we did Ghoulies and, and Wicker Man is like there are a handful of films that like I just haven't seen like horror is like one of those only genres that you, you can literally find anything. Yeah. Like you can you can play in anything like like horror is like clay like it can be molded to be anything because mm -hmm. fears are so subjective and you can have mm -hmm. things like zombies and vampires and angoraphobes or you can explore things like uh you know racism with with you know get out and you can also do like sexual assaults and and so uh, mental health and like there's so many different things that you can do but you can also do like comedies and parodies and mm -hmm. uh homages and and make it meta and there's so many different angles that you can twist and turn with it and i think that's one of the reasons that i really love this genre but also at the same time like there's a, there's a lot about this genre that like has yet to be explore, explored for me and i think mm -hmm. that i can reach the end of my grave being a horror fan for you know 50 some years <clears throat> and still never see all the things weird things that mark has gotten into <laughs> over the years yeah yeah it's i i compare horror to like heavy metal there's mm -hmm. like nine million genres of heavy metal right compared to the other genres of music there there may be a handful of subgenres, but i i don't think there's anything really as complex as metal you, oh you yeah know. i have a i have a buddy like we both grew up like metalheads and stuff but like he has this like encyclopedia like knowledge in terms of genres and stuff and so when he like explains like a band to me he's like oh this one band's called blah blah and it's like melodic like death metal that has like hardcore influence or something blah blah and i'm just like <laughs> god almighty dude it's just a metal band like can we just do that you know but yeah, but well, i get I, it because you know some people need that um and horror, horror kind of comes across to me as the same way as you've got God knows how many subgenres of, of horror. No, but yeah. You don't, really have a, yeah you don't really have a genre like that other than Well, you even, you even have, well, like, it was like I was talking because we're working on developing, like, a feature right now. And the producer who produced Threshold and our, our short before that, Blackbird, she was very, like, at first, because of the types of horror movies that have been made in our area, she was very like resistant to the idea of making anything horror. And I was like, Lori, it's a built-in audience. Like the minute it comes out, it's the only genre that has its own streaming service, you know, <laughs> um, purely devoted to that, you know? And so, and it's, but it's interesting, like you said, there's so many different genres and there's so many different types of horror fans. Like that's why we yeah. have that new disagreement of is a movie horror or not. And it's such a weird thing, you know. Like I had somebody tell me they didn't think Midsummer was horror. And I was like, I well, I'll tell you what, man, I'll I'll blast you with a bunch of psychedelics and put you in a place that like it's sunlight <laughs> for most of the day. And then uh, people are going to start killing your friends and you're going to see people murdered and everything. And we'll just talk about how scary that is like afterward, you know? And, 
and it's and it's strange because like back in the day, I guess because like I grew up watching a bunch of old movies and stuff, yeah, because um, of my parents. So like I was used to movies like Rosemary's Baby or Psycho or 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 you know to go further in you know like John Carpenter movies like The Fog and 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 stuff like that. And so those movies, I I I one hundred percent believe that if those movies were made now, everybody would say I don't know that this is necessarily a horror movie, but it's got horror elements and like it's this it's more of like a suspense movie and i'm like what are you like you know what i mean it's it's a trip like that that's a thing but that's what's so funny about like indie horror in specific is a lot of the stuff that comes out that i'll have friends that are more like slasher oriented or like you know that like anytime a halloween movie comes out they're like just give me you know just take my money you know and um (laughs) And I'll go see something like I don't remember what the fuck was the movie. Oh, that movie it comes at night, the Joel Edgerton movie. Yep. And I went and saw it and I loved it. And then this that same group of people were like, I didn't think that movie was scary at all. And I was like, once again, it's the end of the world. A disease has killed everybody, and you're in a fam uh, uh, locked up in a house with your family, and somebody got in. Like, yeah, that's that's gnarly, dude. Like, and so hopefully, like with the way that indie horror has been is you know like josh said that horror focuses on like mental health and it plays with different ideas and it uses these things that we know about mental health as tropes to like play into it it's been doing that since back in the day repulsion is literally about a person you know a woman losing her mind in her apartment and it's like so well done and so well crafted but it gets ignored it gets the, the the horror button and it's like instantly trash to some people back then you know and then now horror is huge but like specific horror is huge it's and so yeah it's very strange and so it's like indie horror is like what's making all the old stuff you know like a24 movies always feel like old 70s horror movies or you know and and same thing with like neon and and some of the ifc um midnight stuff like the vigil and stuff like that were very scary and i i love them because they're and people will be like Oh, it's, it's slow. And I'm like, yeah, it's a horror movie, dude. It's like, you got to let it creep around. You got to let the camera show you weird exactly. things. You got to have, you got to hear noises in the background and, and whatever else. Like, and so, yeah, it's interesting. And I One like, of, how, I like how they've been approaching horror on a more traditional effects level recently too. Yeah. Over the yeah. last few years, everything was just slammed full of CG. Uh, yeah. It's part of, part of what ruined the um, thing prequel was uh, the studio stepped in and said they wanted faster, bigger monsters so we can't do animatronics, you have to use computer. And Um, that's what made the original thing so creepy, was the animatronic monsters. Because it looked real. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, It still does. It it gives it that timeless effort too. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a good move on the studio's part, is to start going, you know what, these guys actually do like their traditional effects, even if they do look cheesy, there's an audience for it, and they, they love it. And I, I do like that that started to happen recently, over the last few years yeah. with horror in general. Yeah, I, I mean, have, even... Have you, um, have you ever seen those, like, the videos of the, the special effects house, like, with the real practical effects for that thing prequel? Um, I have not. No. So the company that made it, they're called like Amalgamated Dynamics, and it's the guys, um, Tom, <clears throat> excuse me, Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis, who were like 
Tudor, they were, they learned from Stan Winston. They were the ones who created the alien queen and aliens, like just amazing um, <clears throat> practical effects work. And they did all the practical effects for that movie. And then at the last minute, the studio was like, we think we want to go CGI. We think this needs to look different and all this other stuff. And so out the amalgamated dynamics on their YouTube, just threw all of the test footage of the original effects for like their, the thing prequel on YouTube. They're like, this is what it could have looked like. And then they made a movie like on Kickstarter called Harbinger down. That was basically like, well, we didn't get to use all of our effects in the thing. So this movie's literally just going to be like a tribute to like practical monster effects. And it's, awesome. it's a lot of fun. Um, but like, you know, man, what sucks too is that thing prequel had a cool story and yeah there's a lot about it to like. I think a lot of people just immediately go CGI. Fuck it. Don't want to watch this. But if you go watch that movie, a lot of the setup with how everybody dies in the thing prequel, it matches to all the bodies that they find in the, the Norwegian camp later in the thing. Yeah. And you're just sitting there going, that's genius. You know what I mean? And then it ends with the footage of them chasing the, the, the Husky. And you're just yeah. kind of like, yeah, this is an incredible prequel ruined by just poor timing and bad, bad effects. And like, you know, it's just such a strange, I don't know. It's a yeah. weird thing that they do. <laughs> yeah. You've got these fast, <coughs> fast, okay. super shiny CG monsters and a prequel to a movie that had slower conventional effects. That was super yeah. creepy. It, it, it does. Yeah. But the way they, they lined it up, everybody, yeah, if you watch the end of the original thing or the beginning where they go to the camp and you see where everybody has died at and how they're sitting or laying, it matches up to how they die in the prequel. Yeah, and you even see how like the double faced thing that they find in the snow got out there and everything and, and yeah. you it's it's really incredible. Like it's just a bummer. It's such a it's, so, uh, it's, it, you think it wouldn't have been that drastic if they just change the effects but it is like it is it makes yeah. all of the difference because you have good performances and you have mary elizabeth winstead is the lead you've got joel edgerton is kind of the mccready type character like he flies the helicopter and everything and, yeah um it's it's such a cool little story and then it just like you go oh that's what the monster looks like okay you know like yeah. it got um, derailed by the studios yeah which and is I, very I, common <laughs> i've heard that happens a lot <clears throat> In the, oh uh, yeah, I, that dude, go uh, go watch the the extra. I don't know if you guys are like Alien trilogy fans, but go watch the behind the scenes stuff on Alien Three. It, it you just like okay. you sit I there like and you it. go, I can't believe that this movie even got finished. Like, how did this get finished? You know, because I liked Alien Three, so <laughs> so I did too. That's one of my favorites <laughs> of that trilogy. It's another movie I saw in the theaters when I was really young. Um, cause my dad would take me to see stuff like that on like matinees. <laughs> like he'd be like, we're going to go watch, I don't know. I was like seven when that came out or something. He'd be like, we're going to go watch alien theater. We're going to go watch Terminator two in the movie theater or something. And, uh, and alien three, I think it's fantastic. It's got its issues with like effects, but it's also once again, because of them rushing the story through and stuff that yeah. dude, I'm not even kidding. Go because it's, it, it's because David Fincher directed that, that it's even decent. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. it looks like a David Fincher movie, it feels like it. But when you listen to like how they, <laughs> he would be, he would shoot for twelve hours, go back to the hotel room, get on a call with Fox, 
and then gets slipped a piece of paper under his door and they're like, these are the new script pages for tomorrow. Like they rewrote it. Everything you did today is kind of like null and void. <laughs> and you're just like, how did you like, how do you expect it? Like to the point that he almost tried to like take his name off of it and stuff. Cause he was like, I hate this. Like, this is trash. Like all this stuff. Really interesting. I have like a really a weird obsessive nature with the, like the, the whole alien franchise and, I have this like Blu-ray set that has like nine hours worth of extras or something. And one day I was just like, I'm just going to watch all nine hours of these <laughs> extras, I guess. And uh, you learn just some crazy stuff, even with James Cameron and Ridley Scott, you know, in that series. But to your point, yeah, like studio interference is such a bad thing now because horror back in the day, nobody gave a shit. Like the studio was like, oh, we're making this little horror movie to like make our money for the year or something. And then, it started to become so successful that they're like, well, let's, let's not let them do what they've been doing. That's making money. Let's like over scrutinize every single detail and then wonder why it doesn't make its money back because we killed it. You know, I, I feel like you can't actually, uh, you just magically left. All right. Uh, I feel like you, you can't, I'll say this and then we'll go ahead and end. I feel like you can't actually bring up this conversation without bringing up the Weinsteins. Because, boy, howdy, when you get into some of the behind the scenes of, like, Scream, uh, freaking the later Halloween sequels, and also, at the same time, even the uh, some of the Pinhead sequels, man, like, it just, it's so brutal, like, they think that they knew it, and it's just like, dude, like, I promise you, you, you don't think you know what makes these films so successful, but. On that note, I think it's uh it's time we we wrapped up, uh, sure. and uh, just uh, one more time, man. Where can people fi- follow you and your film career online? Um, so you can hit me up uh, on Instagram a lot. It's at Missing Reels, uh, R E E L S, and then my partners and I do a lot of work at um, a place called Marquee, and that's MarqueeLouisville.com or neonbytes.com. Those are our two kind of like content houses where we do all of our film work. Um, uh, those are usually the two best places to check out. And then all the socials kind of lined up from there. All right, Mark, where can people follow, follow you along? <sighs> uh, I'm just a nerd that paints a lot of miniatures and war game junk. Uh, I'm titanium juggernaut on uh, titanium juggernaut painting on, on Instagram. All right, well, you guys can follow me. I'm on Letterbox at Captain Nostalgia, where you can follow my film journey. Uh, you guys can follow our parent company, Victims and Villains. We are on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, wherever you guys get your podcasts from. Most importantly, you guys can go to victimsandvillains.net, where you guys can find links to uh, more content, more bonus content, uh, podcasts like this, all of our social medias, Patreon. But most importantly, also uh, find out more about our mental health resource library. And until next time, remember that the longer you stare into the abyss, the more the abyss gazes back. Have a good night, guys.